1: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development
2: News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We have my esteemed co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, with us. And Kathy and I are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. You know, and Kathy and I, we always want to bring the best and current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, uh, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. And we're so thrilled to have Dr. Noel Tishy with us today. This is the, I think, third time we've had um, Noel on our show. And he is a professor of management and organization at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. He has been the director of a, the Global Business Partnership. And for over a decade, he ran the Global Leadership Program, which is a 36-company consortium of Japanese, European, North American companies who partnered to develop senior executives and conduct action research on globalization in China, India, Russia, and Brazil. One of the things that we're going to uh, talk with Professor Tishy about today is his new book that came out at the end of last year, Judgment on the Front Line, How Smart Companies Win by Trusting Their People. He co-authored with Chris DeRose, and this will be the focus of our interview. Uh, Dr. Tishy has long been regarded as a staple of the management literacy and noted by his rating of being one of the top ten management gurus by Business Week and Business 2.0. He has served on editorial boards of the Academy of Management Review, Organizational Dynamics, the Journal of Business Research, the Journal of Business Strategy, and was the founding editor-in-chief of Human Resource Management. Uh, He consults widely with private and public sectors, and he's a senior partner in Action Learning Associates. His clients have included Best Buy, GE, Pepsi, uh, Coca-Cola, GM, Nokia, 3M, uh, Royal Dutch Shell. And we'll give you a little bit more about Noel's background uh, in a moment, but I wanted to welcome Dr. Kathy Greenberg to our call.
3: Uh hello Riley, and hello Noel. I'm so happy that you're with us today. And uh I have to say that this is gonna be a very exciting show and I have been waiting for this version uh of Judgment on the um frontline to come out. Uh it is obviously based on Judgment, How Winning Leaders Make Great Calls, which is a, a fabulous book and has you know, has been one of those books that is now frequently cited in the leadership literature. But before we get started, I'd like to introduce Relly to those of you who um, may not know who Relly is. And if you are, I can't imagine introducing you to a a better master-level certified executive coach, a psychologist, a corporate leadership and team trainer, and a good friend. Dr. Nadler brings his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and, of course, his development programs. And uh, Raleigh's newest top-ranked book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, provides hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers, including yourself, across industries. His highly respected work is the focus of countless business journals, blogs, and online news features, and his programs have become a mainstay at leading Fortune 500 companies. You can visit him at TrueNorthLeadership.com. You can get lots of free downloads to access your best performance using emotional intelligence tools. And don't forget his free iApp, Leadership Keys, which is also available at the iTunes store. So all you have to do is go to iTunes. Look for Leadership Keys and download it, and you'll be joining over 50,000 other people who have found that I app to be immensely supportive of moving from being a manager to a leader
2: and moving from being a leader to a coach. And, Relly, thanks for being my partner. Well, thanks, Kathy. This has been good. We're now in our sixth year of doing this, and let me just say something briefly about you, and then we can bring on uh, Noel. So, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and, you know, as many of you know, has been named the first lady of happiness on the uh, ABC TV show. She has authored multiple popular uh, books on the science of happiness, including What Happy Companies Know. Um, her latest number one bestseller, What Happy Working Mothers Know. She is in the in the process of of having a whole new another series on fearless leaders. And she touches millions of lives as an in demand speaker, TV, radio, media personality. Kathy also has a uh, free I app called Your Happiness Now, where you can see Kathy's beautiful face and, and hear some of her expertise uh, information on her uh, I app. You go to iTunes stores. Uh, Kathy and I share a website called Excelinstitute.com, and there you also have a lot of free information. Um, some of these podcasts, and a lot of free tools that you can download.
3: You know, Riley. I know we want to get quickly to our discussion with Noel Tishy. I mean, I always enjoy speaking with Noel. He is, of course, one of my gurus and is such a phenomenal speaker on the subject of leadership. But it might be helpful just to ground our audience in why we think emotional intelligence and the science of happiness are so important to a leader's repertoire.
2: Yeah, and we'll keep this uh, brief. I think for many of our listeners, they may have heard this, but for the newer ones, we always want to include this evidence-based information that we can. And, you know, one of the aspects of why we talk about uh, leadership so much, and Noah will will comment on this, is about 40% of organizations say they do not have enough next-level leaders uh, coming into the organization, and some of the reasons is from the great recession we 've lost a lot of leaders. We have retiring baby boomers that we 're going to lose leaders and kind of a brain drain and some of the new generation X and Gen y folks coming in just don 't have as much face time uh, dealing with some of these difficult judgment calls. a lot of it is because they 're either behind their computer. Or uh, on their phone screen, so it's not that they don't have the talent. It's just probably less hours, you know, making some of those difficult calls. And we like to say that the leader is the emotional thermostat for the team, that they have anywhere between fifty to seventy percent influence over the climate of the team, and that's why we focus so much on. On leaders. And the good news is there's a lot of change that can happen with leaders. And and Kathy, maybe you can just say briefly about kind of the change that we do know in regards to the set point. Well, the
3: good news is we do have the capacity to make dramatic change in our overall life satisfaction. And we know that performance and job satisfaction are closely tied to what we call a sense of happiness by more than 93%. So leaders are in for some big surprises when they actually take advantage of their own formula for happiness. And that's about a 50% genetic set point or what we would call, um, you know, who we are When we come to this world, there is another 50% that is what we call um, our nurturing, our our psychological factors, our education, our knowledge. And of that 50%, 40% are the intentional activities that we choose to engage in. 10% of that 50% we can't really make an impact on, but those are small things that will pass. They are environment, uh, they are uh, financial changes in the marketplace, and we all know that economic setbacks are things that we can manage too. We cannot necessarily influence them on a global basis, but if we pay attention to that 40% of intentional activities that we choose to engage in, we can increase our happiness set point dramatically. And in doing so, we can make great change. And that's why in the emotional intelligence assessments that we both use, Rally, the EQI, it looks at optimism and happiness. And as we become more aware of how we can influence our own happiness and our optimism, we increase our overall leadership potential. And it's a very exciting factor that I obviously cannot um, emphasize enough. And we'll hear some more about this, obviously, throughout the show.
2: Great. So let's let's bring on Noel. Noel, thank you so much for for being a, uh, a part of this. I'm
4: delighted to be here. I look forward to it.
2: You know, we can go on more with your background, but I think you know for our listeners, they want to kind of hear from you, and so and so, and so do we. So one of the questions, Noel, that we do uh, we like to check in with folks is just kind of who've been some of your um, greatest leaders, greatest influences. You've been you've been in the field for. Uh, you know, so long and they contribute so much. Who have been some of your key folks?
4: Well, uh, it goes back to the early 1970s. I was a professor at the Graduate School of Business Columbia University, and I got very involved with the Martin Luther King Health Center in the South Bronx, a neighborhood health center. And, matter of fact, the first book I did was on my experience there. And I was profoundly influenced by the engagement of the uh, local community in running this uh, neighborhood health center. It was one of 144 in the country, and it was the model for the country. Hmm. And uh, all of the staff, the 500 staff, were from the neighborhood, Dolores Smith, 1967, uh, African-American, on welfare, eight kids, by 1972 had finished her master's in public health from the University of Michigan and was CEO of the Martin Luther King Health Center. And I learned about the latent capability of leadership in people that we normally would write off as not part of the leadership cadre. It was a huge impact. Similar experience, I moved to Hazard, Kentucky, and ran a rural health clinic for a year in Hazard, Kentucky. Uh, And, again, all of the staff came from the area. When given the opportunity and developed, they became outstanding leaders. And then I would say the uh, other shaping experience was running. Uh, General Electric's Crotonville for two years for Jack Welch and having the opportunity to try and develop 10,000 GE leaders a year. And uh, one other influence, the most uh, impactful academic influence, was uh, John uh, James McGregor Burns' book, Leadership, which is a Pulitzer Prize-winning book. Uh, He's a political historian, political scientist, and it had nothing to do with business. It had to do with transactional versus transformational leaders. And, uh, basically framed for me the notion that transactional leaders are bureaucrats. Transformational leaders fundamentally alter what they've led, never to go back. Uh, you know, a Martin Luther and the Reformation, a Gandhi, a Martin Luther King. And, and I used that to write a book on, in the 19. Uh, early '80s called the transformational leader, and so those were probably the the big events that impacted how I think about leadership.
3: No, no, it's it's. Um, I think it's important for our audience to know that you have co-authored so many of what we would call the salient books in leadership. Um, starting with you know every business is a growth business with Ram Charan, um, you you created Croton and you co-authored Control Your Destiny or Someone Else Will, how Jack Welsh is making GE the world's most competitive company. And in the last few years, you have done a stellar job of bringing to light the idea of judgment, um, which is, you know, one of the, I think, predecessors of being um, ethical and having unyielding integrity, which is another one of your books, The Ethical Challenge, How to Lead with Unyielding Integrity. And now here we are with this book, and it is um, Judgment on the Frontline, How Smart Companies Win by Trusting Their People with Chris DeRose, who's just a fabulous person. Can you tell us a little bit about the turtle tank and how it relates to frontline employees?
4: I certainly can. I just want to correct one thing. I did not I was not there at the founding of Crotonville. It was 1956 that Crotonville opened. I was uh, there to transform it with Jack Welch in the in the 80s, but uh, I,
3: That's fine, but I think most people would associate the success of Cronenville, under your, under your tutelage. How's that?
4: That's more than generous. <laughs>
3: okay.
4: But let's talk about turtle farms and the turtle tank. Uh, that was uh, actually a, a wonderful concept that Chris DeRose came up with. And uh, it, it came out of a discussion he had with a store manager. And uh, the store manager said, well, you know, the problem is the turtle farm. And Chris shook his head and said, I have no idea what he meant and then he explained it and uh, he said if you put a turtle in a small tank even though it has the potential to grow much bigger than the tank its growth will be stunted Hmm. and uh, he said that's the same thing that happens with people on the front line if you set low expectations don't give them the opportunity to grow they will become stunted and it's your fault the leader that's the turtle tank
3: Oh. How simple, but how poetic!
2: Right. Well, so we want to follow up uh, on this because well, you have you have so many good things in in the book, and that we want to talk to you about. No, and so we're going to go to our first break. This is Leadership Development News, profiles of top performers, and we'll be right back.
5: For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Think you've
7: seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
3: Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're having a conversation with Noel Tishy, who is the author of Judgment on the Frontline, How Smart Companies Win by Trusting Their People, with Krista Rose. We were just talking about the turtle tank, and I would assume, Noel, that we're going to move from the turtle tank to something a little bit more progressive in terms of a leader's potential. So let's go from turtles to hippos. What is the hippo, and why is it? Staying with the theme, the elephant in the room.
4: Well, you know, again, out doing our field work, we uh, not only learned about uh, the turtle tank, we learned about hippos. And hippo is a uh, term coined at Amazon, which stands for the highest paid person's opinion. And uh, what we discovered at uh, Amazon is the last thing you want to be called is a hippo. Because uh, most of the innovation comes from the front line. So hippos are to be either changed in their behavior or moved out of the organization. Uh, it's all about turning the pyramid on its head.
3: Outstanding. So you, you don't really want to be caught in a turtle tank, and you don't really want to be a, a hippo. So as organizations work forward, you know, being front line focused, you talk about... Um, how the objectives must start at the top. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yes. You know, it's not uh, one of the things we want to make clear in what we've seen in the field and what we uh, write about in the book. It's not about anarchy at the front line. The the top of the organization, uh, Bezos at Amazon, for example, has a very important responsibility to set the framework for unleashing talent at the bottom. And it starts with what? what we call a teachable point of view. What are the ideas, products, distribution channels, customer segments that are uh, part of Amazon for making money or Google, whatever the company? Then, uh, what are the values? Another part of your teachable point of view is to be on this team, you know, what's our value set around openness, around trust, around those things that people have to behave in order to support the ideas? And then the third element of a teachable point of view is emotional energy. How do we motivate, energize people, uh, using, you know, rewards, opportunities to grow, opportunities to learn, to contribute. And, and the final part of a teachable point of view, which does come last, is what we call edge or judgment. Once you've got good ideas, good values, good emotional energy, You now have earned the right to make yes/no decisions: who's on the team, off the team? Do we invest in this, not invest in that? And it is the responsibility of the senior leadership to set that framework, but then use that framework. And this is the paradoxical part: top down, then to go bottom up, top down, you know, bottom up, top down, both ways. But once you have that, then the people on the front line at Amazon or at Google within that framework can come up with innovations that uh, are then driven from the bottom because that's where the interface with the customers. They know more about the customers and about what's going on at that interface than the CEO does.
2: So, no, this is uh, so fascinating. I know you forgot some of these terms because I've read your other books, you know, especially the, the edge and, and the emotional energy. Um, and you know, when working with leaders... How do we get them to talk a little bit more about some of this? Because I think often, and, and Kathy and I see this, they're so task-focused, and it's kind of what's, what's right in front of them next. What's the task that they want to get done? That I think the, your teachable point of view, um, they don't focus on enough. And, and so how do you get leaders who say, yeah, it's nice, but, you know, we've got to get this out the door, or we've got we to please this customer. You know, I don't have time for this teachable point of view, or I don't even know what my teachable point of view is.
4: Well, it's one of those paradoxes. You got to go slow to go fast, and uh, you know, and you see it in, in in other realms of life. I mean, you know, if you look at an athletic team, they spend forty hours a week practicing for a one hour game. Right. Um, and the the ability to do things quickly and in a coordinated fashion is because you've invested. In a, having a teachable point of view and then ingraining it into the organization. Uh, somehow you're right. Most leaders do not do that. Most of the organizations I've seen around the world do not make great judgment calls. I mean, look, we're four CEOs in at HP in a decade. Uh, so, you know, you know, 90% of the world does not necessarily operate the way we think it should.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to me, that it's really about thinking before doing. And I think you talk about this in the book, Noah, in the story of Steelcase. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, one of the things that uh, Jim Hackett uh, has been marvelous at uh, instilling a culture where in in time-sensitive situations, they, uh, they do build a process where they call a time out and uh, and make sure that the frontline employees have the time to step back and think. Again, if that didn't start with the CEO uh, and and him creating that culture and that framework, there's no way it would happen further down the organization. He has to model it, and he has to require his leaders do that. But it was his insight that if you uh, don't use the brain power. And the insights of our front line were damaging the organization.
2: You know, one of the, one of the things I think that, that we see, and for you do too, uh, it's almost the opposite. And I think you, you what know, you said, 90% of organizations may not do this, is that, is that we often train people not to think. We often train them, just just follow my direction. Don't think so much. I'm doing all the heavy lifting, you know, and that's, that's your, your uh, hypos or uh, hippos. So, if the other side of that is taking the time and really having those strategic conversations and really training, you know, training those people to think, what what are some of the ways that you found that that leaders do that and and they can take the time out? And if so, you know, what kind of questions do they ask and how do they get them to think? Well, I, you know, first of all, it's it's step one is a, a whole mindset shift
4: for them, and uh, you know, and and it doesn't happen uh, without the CEO or the senior leadership mm-hmm. being being the ones but a great example is uh at intuit uh you have a culture that was very top down for years and the founder uh himself talked to us for a lot of time about you know the Scott Cook inventing the company inventing the uh you know the software and for years uh That's the way he managed. And uh, he learned that a lot of his lessons that he was using were wrong. And he talks about his uh, going, watching his son in Little League and and realizing that most of the coaching uh, was feedback that the kids were giving each other. On their own performance, and he had a total shift and said, "Wait a minute! I'm I'm not tapping the brain power of thousands of people at the front line." So he created a uh, really what's no more than a uh, place to come up with new ideas, but he did it web based, since like they got thousands of input from people on the front line, eight huh. new product lines, and he said, "If we didn't create that context, I wouldn't I wouldn't be growing my business." So it was a total transformation. Due to his kid at Little League.
3: And, Noel, one of the things that we've been talking about in leadership for a long time is servant leadership. Mm -hmm. And in your book, you take this to, I think, a new level in terms of making frontline employees feel empowered and using the idea of servant leadership. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, I think it's uh I think one of the best examples of that is uh actually what the Ritz Carlton does because if you think of the uh, you know employees at the Ritz Carlton, uh many of them are in in fairly low-paying positions, but they have done an incredible job. They have something about uh they call wow stories and uh staff members every morning Share a wow story of something that demonstrates service values. And in one story, the bartender at the L.A. property discovered that a young couple was in L.A. so the husband could receive chemotherapy treatment and uh, for Hodgkin's uh, disease. And uh, the couple booked a stay at the Kapalua in Hawaii. And the staff member, uh, you know, got in touch with the Hawaiian staff. And had them upgrade them to the honeymoon suite, redecorated it with Hawaiian theme posters, decorations, created uh, uh, you know a little private beach for them, and 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 just changed their whole experience. And again, just to demonstrate, those stories get all over the organization where you're unleashing. The ideas, the creativity of those in the front line. But, again, that doesn't happen unless the senior leadership sets the stage.
3: Absolutely. And I think the Ritz-Carlton has been known for many years for their what we call formation, you know, where they come together on a regular basis and share. But the wow stories really take that to a whole new level. That's that's just phenomenal, and it's so hard. Um, I, I want to say heart-wrenching, you know, kind yep, of yep. pulls on your heartstrings. And mm-hmm. that's, that's really what you want in that servant-leader capacity. That's a great story.
2: Well, what's also good about that is, is the leader setting the pace. And, you know, and like you're saying no here, it may be just saying what wild stories we have. It could be a five-minute conversation. Exactly. But, but we, we know as far as the brain goes, and, you know, when we talk with a lot of the neuroscientists, how do you change the brain, it's with attention and focus. And so if your attention and focus is about a wow story or who's on your team, who's helped you or supported you, or what new idea have you thinking about that you haven't expressed, I mean, there's probably a series of those kind of conversations, thinking starters that get people really, really creative.
4: Well, just one other thing on the wow stories. Those stories get all over the world, all over the Ritz-Carlton's, and you're right. They're, they're short, they're impactful, they're meaningful to their colleagues, uh, and they're short stories. But, you know, before we go to break, I just want to say this,
3: Noel. The way you capture these stories in your books and the way you wrap around them the intention for transformation and you take it, from you know, a transaction. That could have been a transaction, but you express so well how a frontline employee transforms an experience for themselves as well as for their coworkers that it you know helps acknowledge this around the world. That's the magic in really understanding why frontline and why judgment is, you know, so, such a great parallel, such a great combination. So we'll come back and talk more about the phenomenal stories in Noel Tishy's new book right after this message. So come right back.
7: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
5: And internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com.
7: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers, with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr. Noel Tishy here. His new book, Judgment on the Frontline, How Smart Companies Win uh, by Trusting Their People. And the, the website... For that is the title of the book, www.judgmentonthefrontline.com, where you can get some more information about the book and, and order it. You know, and one of the things, uh, Noel, at the, at the end of your first chapter, you talk about a, a fair amount of the companies that you research from, like you mentioned already, Amazon, Facebook, Google, IBM, IDEO, Walmart, Yum, Zappos. And maybe you can say a word about you know how that research went. Yeah, and... and... All of
4: these companies, we interviewed a number of people and and looked for real stories, real case examples, not platitudes. Can you uh, give us examples, and can we talk to the people who actually did
2: the change? Mm.
4: And uh, so it it was uh, just doing the research was a wonderful learning trip for both Chris DeRose and me.
3: And, you know, when you talk about some of these fabulous leaders – who have created an environment for their employees to do frontline leadership, to do the transformational things that they're doing. You talk about um, folks like David Novak of YUM. Um, Can you give us a a little bit of uh, an example of of how he took this kind of teachable point of view that you have been um, successfully integrating into companies now for over a decade now. And talk about what happened to the relationship between its senior managers and its restaurant general managers.
4: Yeah, David Novak, the CEO of Yum Brands, which is Taco Bell Pizza at KFC. And, you know, when you include all the franchise franchisees, you've got, you know, a million point four people who work for Yum Brands, either for a franchisee or for the company in general. So, a tremendous impact on people. And David, for over a decade, has been running his own leadership program, Taking People With You, where he teaches leaders around the world. And some years he's run as many as six of these programs a year, which is these are three day workshops. So, his calendar is absolutely committed to this. And he has a very clear Teachable point of view about how you run an effective store. And over time, he's gotten it even stronger to say, you know, headquarters is support for the front line. And he really, really reinforces that. Senior managers are there. For example, little things, but they're very meaningful. Headquarters cannot call a store anywhere in the world between 11 o'clock in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. Why? Because that's busy time, that's lunchtime, and you don't interfere with the work of folks on the front line, which is antithetical to most hierarchies where, you know, I'm the boss, I can call up anybody anytime. That's just one small example of the care he takes to say, hey, the action is at the front line. He also gives all the front line workers, you know, $11, no questions asked if somebody has something wrong with an order. You fix it, you have autonomy to do that. And, again, that's worldwide. So he really is, uh, has, has looked hard at how do you turn the pyramid on his head.
3: Uh, Noel, I want to kind of switch topics a little bit here. And, and as you both know, and as um, many of us uh, have been dedicated uh, to our, our forces, I've been working with the U.S. Army on their readiness and Resilience Program, and that has spread across to uh, several of our Special Operations Forces. So when you when you think of um, Navy SEALs, uh, and you have been uh, actively engaged with them, having them participate in your program uh, at the University of Michigan, uh, where you've been kind enough to have me as a co-facilitator, you've talked about how they develop their special forces. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, I um, first got working with him when Wayne Downing, uh, now passed away, but he was the four-star general running the Special Operations Forces, and uh, it was uh, he he and when he was still running. Uh, it's called SAF, uh, Special Operations Forces. They a, put a video together with his people called Guns and Roses. And the first part is all of what you would expect, kind of the whiz-bang jumping out of helicopters and going underwater and, you know, all the military side. The second half of the video is what they spend a lot of their time doing, which I call the Armed Peace Corps, in communities, working with communities in healthcare and education. And, you know, so Wayne was the one who transformed the Special Operations Forces into a uh, group that is much more than just military. He said After the Cold War, we had to reinvent the Special Operations Forces. And, uh, so I have spent a lot of time with special operations forces in the book. You know, we talk about how do you train the SEALs for the military side of the hat they wear. And a lot of that is teaching them to deal with failure and with situations where there's no, uh, clear answer and they end up Having to, you know, in their what they call after-action reviews, they go through a simulation, and then everybody's uh, stripes come off. There's no hierarchy, and they say, what did we learn? What did we learn? What did we learn? And you're teaching them to think. You're teaching them to think for themselves. So. Uh, they are out of a command-and-control environment for much of their time. They're out in you know locations around the world, and you've got to build in the ideas and the values and the teachable point of view for them to operate autonomously and not make many mistakes, and that's how they develop them.
3: Outstanding. And I I know that uh, many of our listeners are curious uh, to learn more about how they do their training. And um, obviously, you have some salient points about that in the book.
2: And one of the aspects that you also talk about in the book that I think ties into what we're saying about the the front line, you know, is is changing um, that discussion from boss to coach, which, you know, shifts the span of the controls, and it goes back to kind of who's doing all the thinking, who's doing the heavy lifting. You know, so what does the boss have to do to kind of make that shift?
4: Not all of them can. Uh, and uh, one of the things we did with Intuit was uh, they run uh, call centers around the world, and they're one of the few organizations where you actually uh, pay for some of the call centers. If you're an accountant and you use the call center to solve problems with your client. It's it's a for profit part of Intuit, so it's really, really important what happens there. And if, if you want to have a good frontline organization, your frontline leaders are critical. And so we took the frontline leaders and we took the level, one level above the front lines, and said, You are the teachers, not. Mm a bunch of academics or consultants, and you are going to teach your frontline people. You're going to have a teachable point of view that comes from the top of the organization down. And by the way, if you can't teach and demonstrate that your teaching is making a difference at the frontline and performance, you no longer have a job a year from now. And uh, it is a core requirement. We did this all over the world, and not all of them made it. And, uh, you know, if you can't, Play that role at that level, uh, then you know our advice to the clients we work with is get people who can, and some people are hardwired command and control can't stay.
2: Wow, that so that is so huge, and and one of an imperative that they're not only assigning tasks, but they really really have to teach, and that that role you know Kathy and I are, know so well about is, is is the coaching. But one of the things along with that, and I remember hearing this that that Jack Welch. Would do leadership training, teaching, you know, and I, and you probably know, you know the number. I thought it was something like you know thirty to forty percent of his time. You know, yep. is, is that about right? Yeah, he he
4: uh, and he rightly claimed that he would spend forty fifty percent of his time on 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 leadership development activities, whether it be the twenty five days on succession planning. I mean, all day long, or when I was running GE's Crotonville in class every other week teaching. Um, um, and he saw his role as basically head coach.
2: So, so for let's say if if you're not the CEO, what would you you know? Is there a kind of a percentage that you think for for managers to really empower their people? What percentage of time should they should they actually be teaching or or pointing out their teachable point of view?
4: Yeah, I I believe, and I don't think there's any hard and fast rule. Right. I think it's it's a mindset shift that every day. Hmm. Every minute ought to be, you are coaching, teaching, you are making the human capital that you're responsible for. Whether you're a 28 year old engineer running, you know, part of an organization with eight 22 year old engineers off campus, or a middle manager, or a manager in a hospital system, you know, if you're not making your people smarter every day, I don't believe you're doing your job. And the only way I know is to be a good leader teacher, and it doesn't mean uh, abdicating responsibility. In fact, it's a lot harder. You have to create an environment where ideas are shared, where you're willing to uh, develop people but also hold them accountable. It's a a tough love environment uh, for everybody.
3: You know, Noel, as you're talking about this boss-to-coach philosophy and as companies – uh, begin to evolve and, and develop uh, their empowered. Uh, I want to call coach-like frontline people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're going to inevitably want to incorporate many of these ideas um, into their hiring process because, of course, you want to, as you said, uh, you want to make that turtle tank really conducive to 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 producing great people. Are there any methods uh, to match this potential for? Hires so that they fit the company's frontline practices?
4: Yeah, we, when we work with uh, companies on uh, this very topic, because you're absolutely right, the, the most powerful way to shape a culture is who you let in the door. And any, any organization that has a really strong culture, you know, it would take the Navy SEALs. 80% drop out uh, or get washed out in Bud's training, and, which is their kind of basic. Training eight weeks and 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 they don't make it not because they're physical ability it's mental 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 and so and they screen like crazy before they even get in there so before they get in the program so number one be very clear about the values and the culture you want, and then look for evidence. We did this with uh, Intuit, a software company that was hiring some of the brightest kids off the Stanford you know, IT graduates, MIT, Caltech. One of the things we had these kids do is share your journey line, the ups and downs in your life. And in these tough times, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about others? And you found that some of them were straight-A students who never experienced anything in life well thank you much go work for somebody else and uh... we started doing this at at Ford as well as they were hiring engineers and one of the things when I was at GE we lowered the grade point average we were hiring like sixteen hundred off-campus engineers a year and said we want to find young people who've done other things not just going to class oh you were you worked part time you were part of these clubs and you were also on a sports team and he had a b plus average and this other guy had an a you know a average and didn't do anything and so yeah. you start screening for the culture that you want
3: It's it's an amazing simple idea, isn't it? Yeah, we (laughs) we haven't seemed to master (laughs) the philosophy yet. But we're gonna go to a break, Noel, and when we come back we'd love to talk to you some more. So don't go away, we'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News.
7: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice
1: America. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: Welcome to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr. Noel Tishy about his uh, new book uh, that's out and Judgment on the Frontline and judgmentonthefrontline.com is a place where you can get a hold of that. One of the things, no, and we've had you uh, on other shows, is just do you see any evidence, you know, about emotional intelligence, you know, kind of the gap that you're seeing in organizations, you know, around emotional intelligence, and then does that gap lead into some maybe uh, judgment calls or faulty judgment calls?
4: Well, I, probably the poster child of bad Leadership judgment starts with Carly Fiorona and then uh, Mark Hurd and the uh, gang at HP. You're on your fourth CEO. Three of them fired, I would argue because of lack of emotional intelligence mm. and uh, and you know thousands of people's jobs and livelihood are being impacted because HP is in a ditch right now and you know may not turn around. so let's let's look right at the top. We don't do a good enough job, and my current research and next book is on CEO succession. Mm. And the landscape is littered with folks that got all the way to the CEO level without emotional intelligence, and when things get tough, they get fired. I write about it in the Judgment Book. Jerk Yager, CEO of Procter & Gamble, over a decade ago, lasted 18 months. Mm-hmm. Intellectually, Bright Guy had no emotional intelligence, was a train wreck in the company, and they had to fire him in 18 months when the stock went down 30%. So it starts starts at the top. But I also think we've got to both screen for people uh, for emotional intelligence and then bring out and develop the best in people so that they can continue to kind of build a muscle of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm.
3: And I think Noel, you would agree that that's where a lot of the 360 assessments are becoming helpful. Once young people on the front line reach a, a level of um, leadership capacity in their organizations, it's really important for them to get that feedback. Don't you agree?
4: Absolutely. I you know I've been a strong advocate of 360s actually since introducing it at GE's Crotonville in 1985, uh, wow. and uh, And and I, by the way, it's not just for feedback and development. It's also for screening and, at times, firing people. Uh, You know, not everyone's going to change, but you use it as a vehicle for coaching, developing, and making clear. You know, here's here's what the rules are uh, around how we treat people, how we build teams, and I think you can build and strengthen emotional intelligence. I also believe some people just don't have it.
3: Mm -hmm. Oh, I would agree. And, and, uh, you know, this whole resilience and readiness program that I was talking about earlier that the military is focused on, part of that is using the 360s to help us screen out what we would term toxic leadership behaviors because it's so important now that we're moving to a different military, uh, to the point you were making about the Navy SEAL training, that we focus, on emotional intelligence, reality testing, impulse control, stress tolerance, happiness and optimism, because as you've so rightly said in this book, Judgment on the Front Line, it really makes a difference in the capacity for people to move from boss to coach, and that's so important.
2: You know, no. I'm interested in. It. There is some research that shows that around emotional intelligence, that sometimes the people at the top, CEOs, have the the least least amount. You know, on some of these assessments. You know, what's and what's your take on it? Is it is it kind of the ego? Is it you know why why would you think someone at that level would have the least emotional intelligence?
4: Well, I, uh, Jeff M I I have a video of Jeff Immelt, the CEO of General Electric, talking to. Uh, my uh, incoming MBA is a couple years in Michigan. And one of the points he makes is, uh, you know, you, you can't be a leader unless you really love people. But he said, you know, in his own career, you, 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 some of these leaders got to where they got because they really hated people. And they wanted to torture them. They wanted to manipulate them. And he said, you can't be a leader in today's world unless you really love people. Mm-hmm. And and Jeff really means that, and he's absolutely right. Too many people got there through hammer, you know, being hammers, being you know the smartest guy in the room, uh, belittling people. Uh, those days and those companies are going to become, you know, the dinosaurs. But they're still out there, and I'd say they're still in the majority in a lot of cases. Mm.
3: And I think that brings us to your fabulous program that I have been um, honored to co-facilitate with you at the University of Michigan, which is your leadership judgment program, which is an executive workshop that really teaches all of this in, I think, a very comfortable but high interactive environment. And it's a week-long program that uh, obviously I, I think everybody should go to. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's
4: basically, uh, you know, one way I think about it is, is uh, it's, it's train the trainers. It's uh, developing your capability to go back and teach your people. So you have to you know, do a couple things in the program. One is what's the hand you've been dealt walking in? Who you are as a leader? Are you really clear on your strengths and weaknesses? And then, you know, help you rebuild or improve your teachable point of view. You know, Get very clear on how you're going to teach your people the ideas for your organization, product, services, distribution channel, customer segments. How do I make sure that my people are fully aligned? And then you go to the values. How do we get aligned around the values? How do I teach them, get them built into the fabric of the organization? Build 360 surveys to support the values. And then on emotional energy, how do I lead change? How do I break down the bureaucracy and make it supportive and exciting for the front line, and then how do I make the tough judgment calls on people in business? So you kind of break down their teachable point of view then put it together, and they go out with uh, the ability in a teaching kit to go teach thousands of other people. I I always say at the end, what we did here is baby step number one. This is the base camp at the bottom of Mount Everest.
3: You know, no, I can't help but ask you this question as we... Quickly come to a close on today's show, and that is knowing this fearless leaders model that I'm currently uh, building. Can you comment on why it's so important for leaders to have a sense of fearless judgment, and and what that really does for an organization?
4: Well, I think the role of a leader is is a transformational leader is to be able to take make courageous moves and to be able to make yes no decisions, not be sucked into let's set up a committee let's set up a bureaucracy you know it is have the courage to take a stand on yes no based on solid underpinnings of in my terminology a teachable point of view beautiful.
3: Make sure, if you're listening, that you go to www.judgmentonthefrontline.com to learn more about Noel's program, his new book, obviously a big, big change in uh, how we look at people who we employ and bring into the company, how we do that, how we grow them, the importance of building the right turtle tanks, and um, I guess expunging the hippos, huh? So thank you so much, Noel, for being with us today.
4: Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoy the dialogue, as always, with you.
2: And, and no, let me just echo it. It's always a treat talking to you, and thank you so much. So you've been listening to Leadership Development News, and you can get in touch with Kathy and I at ExcelInstitute.com. Thank you for tuning in to tune up your leadership performance.
1: You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers, with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel.